Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Boss Man. In typical fashion, this is being done at the very last moment, a busy week in business. And uh, it's pretty cool to be sitting here in person in the business function room, hashing out some deals. We're in the business lounge. I think it even says that on the outside of the door (laughs) here at your complex. (laughs) Here we are. Here we are. So in this week's episode, we're going to be answering a listener question We absolutely love those, so I'll just solicit them up here at the top. If you'd like to give us a prompt for an episode idea or a question you'd like us to answer, hit up our producer, Jane, at tropicalmba.com, and and Ian and I's emails are also at this domain, so Ian and Dan at tropicalmba.com. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, so we're going to get into that, but, but first, I want to do a little bit of news. There's some really exciting stuff coming down the pike for us. Events are back. We posted... Less than 24 hours ago, the registration page for DC, Mexico City, our first event since late 2019. Yep. So this is going to be two years later. You know, we've been sitting on our hands doing Zooms, and now all of a sudden we're going to be in the Intercontinental. Yeah, the hotel looks awesome. It's going to be, I'm just so excited. And to see the surge of interest in Dynamite Circle members. I don't know, should we share numbers? But like these spots are just absolutely flying off. People have been waiting to go back to events. It's been such a big part of who we are and what we do since 2011. 10 years. Yeah, we've been, we've been hosting events for listeners of this podcast. It's incredibly rewarding, like talking with the event team today about the plans we have for it and how we're going to connect people and who's coming and how bright they are and how much they've progressed that's one of the things about doing this for, for 10 years. You know, you see that so many of us are hard at work building incredible businesses and come back every year to share it with each other. And incredible lives, for that matter, too, to see people bring families in tow the next year or years later and to build generational wealth. It's been inspiring, cool, and uh, it's an absolute honor to be in a position to bring folks together in that way. This event's going to be pretty cool, Dan, I think. It's going to be in Mexico, never done Mexico City before, but I truly believe like this could become a staple in kind of our event diet. Like we might go back to Mexico every year because basically the way that we do it, generally speaking, is Bangkok in October, but we're going to have Mexico this year because it's still very hard to get into Asia. Yeah. But at the Intercontinental where we're booked in at, it, it seems very much like DCBKK. Yeah. I mean, part of it is just the value prop, right? It's just the fact that we're going to be staying in a world-class facility that has the capability to grow with us. Members can come and stay the whole week and it feels like a good value. It's also a communal adventure. Mexico City is really cool. It's really rad. And even for those of us that live here in Austin, yeah, we love Austin, but 
you know, maybe it's not that much of an adventure to go to an event in Austin. And I'll tell you this, just the economics of what you can deliver, like our ticket price is six fifty, and we go to work with that money. We spend that money back on the members and what we can get for that down in Mexico city is just absolutely a better value than what we can do here in Austin. So pre pandemic, this is a little inside baseball. This was our plan all along to move Austin yeah. to DC. So last year's Austin event that we had to cancel in the pandemic, that was planned to be the last Austin event. So yeah, yeah the five year vision is we're going to do Mexico city and Bangkok. Those are going to be our two key events and just a little sales pitch. Those events are for dynamite circle members only. It's a pretty simple application process. If you are a founder of a remote first business, just hit up that application. This event is going to be absolutely rocking. Looking forward to it. You mentioned 650. We do have early bird uh, ticket prices. July 23rd is the last date for that. And that includes a mastermind ticket on Friday. So our format is mastermind on Friday and then talks and breakouts on Saturday and Sunday. Yep. And of course, people will, will be organizing earlier and later. Oh, it's it's an absolute whirlwind. I hesitate to even wade into like, it's like a, a beehive of activity and different sorts of functions and meetups and casual and serendipitous and planned and all this stuff. But the punchline is, this is an opportunity for those of you out there to see what's actually happening on the ground. Like, just a small example. I always notice like what you see on the internet versus what's happening in real life. What's happening in real life is that listeners of this podcast are building multi seven figure businesses. They're changing their lives, becoming founders. They're moving up the value chain, becoming leaders in the business industry. That's happening. Whereas 10 years ago, we were digital nomads trying to figure out how to get a VA in the Philippines or whatever. For example, like when we post about this event, there's like a like function, right? So if you look at the internet, you think, oh, like this number of people liked it, but like six times as many people that liked it bought a ticket to come to the event. So in that sense, like this is an opportunity to see actually what's happening on the ground, actually how people make a career, actually how people make these businesses and to be with your peers. I just think, you know, if you're just hanging out on Twitter, if you're just hanging out even in the DC, like it's not the same as meeting with those people in real life and figuring out, you know, how you can learn from each other and work together in the future. We're getting back to it, man. Very excited. Like you said, it's been a two-year hiatus due to COVID, but we are essentially entering our 10th year of throwing events. Yeah. So very excited to see everybody and to uh, talk shop and have a great time in Mexico. So speaking of success, I got to mention just for the newsworthiness is that June was our biggest month of sales in over six years since we've had the e-commerce business. Those of you that have been around for a while, we exited uh, a business in 2015. Well, since that time, we had never gotten back to a seven-figure run rate. And this is this is a month, Ian, that we're at a seven-figure run rate again. How Your reflection, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited and I'm very scared like any entrepreneur, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. And then the first week of July is like slow. You're like, oh, this is all going to come crashing to an end. Perfect. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you want to know the secret to... Uh, running a, a seven-figure business, Dan, I'll tell it to you. And this is special for, for you and listeners to the show. Work for three years, don't make any money, put in like over a quarter million dollars, and then eventually you might get to that point. So that's just a quick tip for our competitors out there and anybody thinking about achieving success in the future. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, we had a huge month. And we have a huge team now too, which is cool. We, we hired four some, people this month. Yeah. So we're making it, but we're spending it all. Exactly. Yeah. We, we really are. 
because we feel like this is a really big opportunity and it's something that we're going after. We can do a whole show on that at some point, Dan, if you want. But yeah, it is great news. I'm just very excited for us and our team to see what happens for the rest of the year. Last year, this time, we I went back and looked at like one of our weekly reports. Like we were barely even recording revenue or reporting revenue because we weren't even focused on it in so many ways. Like we're trying to like get this quote job board off the ground, <laughs> dynamitejobs.com. Now it just feels great, man, because you and I have been hammering on this thing for the last year. We've brought a bunch of people onto the team and we're focused on revenue. We're focused on product. We've got some really exciting things going on over at dynamitejobs.com. If you want to check it out, give us some feedback. I am Ian at Dynamite Jobs or Ian at Tropical MBA. Shoot me yeah. an email. Hopefully, we're tossing a bunch of numbers around about like our expenditures and our strategies and stuff. Probably realistically going to be breaking that down somewhat at the event. Hopefully, that stuff will make it onto the show. But the reality is things are moving so fast that uh, it's a bit of a whirlwind right now. It's hard to like pull out learnings as you're just absolutely in the middle of it. One thing I will say, though, is there was a comment that Jesse Schoberg made on the show a few weeks ago where he said, hey, as a founder, I'm really good at zooming in and zooming out. And we talk about all around our lives and not getting stuck in the middle, like choosing one of the polarities. Yeah. Like you're either micromanaging some ridiculous detail that people are like, why does this guy care about this? Well, it's because it's a dedication to excellence or sometimes the devil is in the details. Like the details can matter. They can lead to innovation, but you can't be in the details all day long. You can't be a micromanager all day long. You zoom back out to the 40,000 foot and ask yourself, what's the vision for this country? You don't want to get stuck in the middle, like managing clients or like delivering product. Like, right. Like you want to be 40,000 foot. So zoom in and zoom in out. And you know, Part of that means just consistency and energy and just showing up every day because both things require a lot of energy. A lot of founders only do one or the other. They only do the vision stuff. If they're, you know, they don't have a, a bunch of time to dedicate it to their business, they show up and do vision. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of founders, uh, they micromanage for whatever reason. And so I think there's a lot of value, like Jesse said, in figuring out a work plan, a path, whatever it is, a routine that allows you to both zoom in and zoom out on a daily basis. That's the news. Uh, Got a lot of uh, exciting episodes coming down the pike here. This one was based on your question. Your emails help inspire this stuff. So today's question, Ian, is all about how to be a good remote employee. And there's just some broad things to bear in mind here. Something you know we have a lot of experience in, and I think a lot of what we're going to talk about can resonate with founders as well. Because essentially, what we're talking about is how to be an A player. That's relevant for founders, freelancers, service providers, and employees alike. Katie writes, I'm reaching out because I was recently introduced to the pod via an acquaintance, must be a very good friend, who has a similar lifestyle to me, dividing our time between the U.S. and overseas. That sounds baller. I'm trying to maintain my life in Europe too, man. It's not going so well with this pandemic. <laughs> oh. But I, I hear it's opening up. So uh, it looks like 2022. It's a possibility. I graduated with my master's in the wake of 2020. Uh, everybody knows what that means when job interviews were at a standstill. Now that the economy is opening up again, I'm hoping to sign one or two remote positions in the very near future to maintain my current life here and in Europe. 
While your episode, How to Get a Great Remote Job, has provided me with helpful advice to attract the attention of remote employers, what's now weighing on my mind is how to keep the employer's attention, i.e. how to actually be a great remote employee. I would love to hear a podcast on the topic. As a listener, it would be interesting to hear the opinions of employers, what has worked or what hasn't worked when moving online, what qualities have shined from employees who've successfully transitioned, etc. Thank you and all the best, Katie. Katie, what a lovely question. And there's just so many ways to dig into this. Ian and I obviously have spoken with hundreds, if not thousands, of employers over the past decade in remote-first companies. We're going to present these as tips I wrote counterintuitive tips because I just didn't want to do all the basic stuff like work hard. You know, I wanted to try to throw a couple curveballs Katie's way. She sounds like she's pretty advanced as it is. So the first point is that remote work has been very tough for B players, but B players are still critical parts of any company. Before we talk about this, Ian, we need to define an A, B, and a C player. And also to note that they're not mutually exclusive. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, Ian, if I suggest that at times in in our lives, we have both been C players. For sure. (laughs) Often. Let's talk about it a little bit, though. And I think there's like a, a trend here, which is, you know, to set the narrative context in 2021, there's an anger sweeping across North America right now. And that anger is that employees are being asked to come back into the office after having been out there doing their jobs ostensibly well for an entire year. And now they're mad that they want to be controlled and brought back into the office. And a lot of those candidates are coming to our site, Dynamite Jobs, which is sweet. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. But you know, I think there's a secret, sneaky, hidden intent behind this, which is what the employers actually want is for the B players to get squeezed out. So if a B player refuses to come back to the office, the employer is like, okay, well, that's the policy. So cool. Now you're off the payroll. Whereas my guess is that in a lot of these larger tech companies, if you're actually an A player and you call up the company, you say, look, I, I can't be one of the people that comes back. They're going to be like, nah, you good. You A. <laughs> yeah. So that's right there. That's a difference between an A and a B player. A B player, you got to come back to the office. <laughs> that's right. So when we're talking about A, B, and C players, I think like a general description of the different A, B, and C are A is like overachieving or excellent. B is, eh, okay, pretty good. And then C is average. And so when we say it's tough, remote work is tough for B players, I think what we're saying is like part of the quality of an A player is to show visibility and to show accountability and to also do great work. And that's really hard to do if you're a remote worker, I think. And this is also something that's like acquired and it's something that you learn how to do. And part of me just like reading all this news, Dan, about like uh, remote work and all this stuff, I'm like, welcome to the party 10 years late. Like we've been doing this stuff for so long. It almost seems, well, it's definitely normal, but it almost seems abnormal to me to be talking about an office. So I think the answer of how to be a good remote worker lies a lot in like, have you done it before? And that's like a chicken egg problem. It's like, well, I can't do it until I'm given the opportunity. But you kind of got to go out there and get the opportunity. And I think there's a lot of different ways to do that. 
Give me a second to talk about today's sponsor, Travis Jameson, smashdigital.com. They're the first people we reach out to whenever we're thinking about improving our rankings or any SEO question, frankly. In fact, recently I reached out to the team at Smash Digital with a 301 SEO project, which wasn't a great fit for them. So they referred me to someone who could help. And I know that's why we use them. And so many listeners of this pod use the services over at smashdigital.com. The reality is they really know what they're talking about. They've got skin in the game. They use the exact same methods for their clients that they do to rank their own portfolio of profitable businesses. That's right there, practitioners. It's really empowering to deal with experts who are just straight up and honest about what they can and can't do for your rankings and your SEO in general, rather than being walked through some cheesy sales process by SEO services built for people who really don't understand the power of SEO or how it applies specifically to their business. So if you want to have Smash Digital in your business's back pocket or just learn more about what they do, check them out over at smashdigital.com. We appreciate the team at Smash for sponsoring the show. All right, so let's take just a little bit more of a moment to define the difference between A, B, and C players and why it matters for this. So an A player is someone that when you delegate like a task or a result to, you are extremely confident that they are going to deliver or over-deliver on that. And they're going to do it with a minimum amount of management and definition from you. An A player will do things, for example, they'll ask you like very pointed questions that get to the heart of the matter. A players will often put success in their career and job ahead of other things in their lives, including ego and including their own self-interest potentially at the firm. A players will build coalitions proactively around the projects that they're building. They'll fight for them within the company and build up a consensus of shareholders and people that can contribute to getting the, the desired result. A players are very good at taking critical feedback and improving. A players often work harder than B and C players, more hours. Because everything that I'm mentioning isn't simply a skill, it's also a grind. It's, it's difficult to do this work. The reality is, is a lot of things that you know, come across as a lack of skill are actually just like a lack of effort. Like sometimes a B player or a C player will bring like a half-finished project to your desk, you know, and that like they're kind of looking for guidance, but actually they're just being lazy. And an A yeah. player typically won't be lazy. And then the final thing is A players are very good at providing, we talked about this like coalition building thing. They're very good at providing transparency around what it is they're advocating for in the company. So why are we looking at this? Because these A player skill sets are what thrives in any organization, but particularly in remote organizations where there's a lot more transparency, strangely enough, on results. So I think that that is potentially the fundamental difference between a remote-first organization and a typical in-office situation because you don't have like the general office politicking and hierarchical organizations that tend to happen when you create organizations in an office context. So for a B player who's not used to providing transparency, who's used to like waiting for like super well-defined projects that come their way. You know, one of the ways that happens in an office, Ian, is that you sit in meetings all day long and then you kind of like schlep up to the next meeting with like the kind of project to the level that the other people in the meeting are satisfied with. 
Whereas if you take that same thing to a remote context, you know, you might be on a shorter meeting where that say slide deck gets delegated to you and you got to come back to the next meeting with like a finished slide deck that works for the client as opposed to continuing to like schlep around to meetings, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think that there's a lot of things we can learn from A players and implement them simply to have a stress-free remote experience. One is having, and this is something we've taken from Jason Calacanis, something we call an SOD and an EOD reporting system along with weekly reports. This is a start of day. This is an end of day. This is you say you show up, I'm here. This is what I'm working on. You report on what you've completed. You also sum it up in a way that matters to the rest of the team on a weekly report on Friday. This is what showing up looks like in a remote context. C players, Ian, will just not see the value in this and they'll just drop off. So I think that's a good one. Yeah. And I want to go back to a point that you made, which is like, there's kind of a place for everyone. It depends what you're optimizing for. If you like are trying to optimize for lifestyle, meaning like you have a side hustle or you really want to spend a bunch of time with your family or something like that, like go ahead and slip your way into one of those companies that maybe has a couple hundred people. Maybe it's like, you know, a larger organization, whatnot. Slip in there. Be a B or a C player and uh, enjoy your paycheck. If you slip into an organization that has 10 people that's remote first, you're going to have maximum visibility, maximum accountability because there's only a couple of people in the organization. Chances are that the tasks that you have only you can do. Chances are that people are going to know what you're working on kind of at any given time and that you're going to be an integral part of the system. So it's hard to be a B or a C player in those types of organizations because you have so much visibility. And I think that's to your point, Dan, which is like a lot of these remote first companies do have that vibe. They do have this extreme visibility. A results-oriented culture, essentially. Yeah. And the reason for that is because it doesn't really work that well otherwise. Remote first companies have just cut out a lot of the fat that would typically exist in companies that were conceived of decades ago. That's correct. I like to think about this in terms of like manufacturing because that was our last company. It's like everything moved to China. That was like the efficiency. So it was like at first it was like a quarter of the price and now I'm in China. So now I'm crushing all my competition. The next version of that is like remote first in my mind. It's like, well, not only did we find like a location arbitrage with all of our team, but like they're less expensive than if I went to have to go find somebody in San Francisco. And a lot of times they're even better. I must give the caveat, we're not assuming by any means here that Julie's a B player, but I do think the reality is is most employees are B players. And I think that learning some efficient tips from A players and implementing them in sort of the B lifestyle can be hugely effective. So here's just one final tip on that front. Don't have a leaky desk. And what I mean by that is you don't want to create work for others by going to your colleagues and especially the owner or the top management in your company with unfinished decisions. Essentially, hot potatoing your responsibilities to others. And so a way you can do this via written email is we used to have this convention called Unless I Hear Otherwise. So it's essentially like, hey, for these reasons, I'm going to make this critical decision by Friday. 
If you want to intervene in that, let me know before Friday. I'm available in these two ways. Another way you can do it is when you do finally get to the point where you know you engage your manager, your boss, don't waste their time by not having a clear decision, having already arrived to. So basically, like you go to them and you say, look, I've done the research based on our goals, you know, and I've asked you the questions. I've built my coalition. I have a vision. I've made the decision that we should do X rather than Y. I'd like to get your feedback on that and see what you think rather than coming to them and saying, I've got alphabet soup. I really want you to take on the work essentially. Yeah. And I think the idea here is that knowledge work is essentially about making decisions. And if you start to outsource up decisions, you will create fatigue and frustration in your bosses and your managers. This is all under the assumption too that the boss and the manager are good at what they do. <laughs> so yeah. you can like be an A player and like do all the things that we're talking about in the show and then you deliver this to your boss or to the manager or the owner and they're, you know, don't pay attention. They don't receive it in the right way. They don't act accordingly. So yeah, yeah you got to think about this from like a whole organization perspective. And that should also be the reason you leave an organization if you're an A player. If you're kind of doing all these things, you're making all the right decisions and then progress isn't getting made, well, then maybe it's just a B or C organization. And that'll be very typical of an A player because A players will demand that there's actual results being created in the real world. Whereas a lot of B players think they're A players, but what they actually want is recognition, accolades. They want their opinion to be valued. All these kind of like second order things that B players are concerned with. The A players are concerned mostly with actually making things happen in the business yeah. rather than having someone in a hierarchy tell them that, hey, you're really valuable around here. You can see if you're valuable around here by creating results in the real world like, hey, we have more podcast listeners this week or, hey, we created more sales this week. Those are the things that A players care about. So the number two point is to consider passing on your savings to your employer. This is a concept that is becoming more and more relevant as essentially we're exploring the concept jointly of arbitrage, of cost savings, of being strategic about locating staff around the world. The reality is, is a remote first company's balance sheet is really clear. If you're just doing like the same work that you were doing in an office, but now you're doing it for Europe, I don't think you can really expect the same salary, typically speaking. Because now like you're competing globally. And I think that's something you really have to consider as a remote worker. And if what you want to do is like present yourself as like that corporate professional you were in a previous life with your first few remote gigs, and you like convince that employer to pay you the same amount, that might not be ultimately be a sustainable salary given the new transparency, number one, on actually what you're delivering to the organization. And then number two, on the global competition you're facing as an employee. So this is both positive and potentially negative because now your upside potential is much higher because you can really point a finger on you know, how many results you're creating for the company and there's gonna be less politicking in your way because literally you're out of the office. You don't have to like make people like you, you just have to create the results. But you also have that global competition as a downward pressure on your earning potential. Also, there's like all these new conversations that are starting to happen, which I think are great, which is like, hey, you know, I used to do that work for you. Well, now I want to live in 
Europe, I still want to do like 70% of the work for you, but my cost of living is less here. I'm not going to be coming to the office and I'm only doing 70% of the work that I was doing before. Let's explore paying me less, you know, or let's like broker this new deal. I think that that's interesting because like before Dan, like everybody comes in the parking lot, they all like see each other's cars, they all walk into the office, they all see each other's clothes. And there's this like transparency in that way, which I think doesn't lend itself to these types of negotiations. In a lot of ways, like that's a lot of unproductivity being shown there, right? It's like keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with your office mates. Well, if you can display to your company or to your organization that like, hey, actually I can be less of a burden. I can be almost as efficient or maybe just as efficient and I want to earn less potentially or the same. Point being that like there's an opportunity for a conversation that never existed before. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, think about it this way, Ian, uh, you know, and I'll challenge you this. Say you're in the market for an experienced growth manager through paid advertising. So essentially a, an online marketer with a lot of experience. One example is they're based in Austin, Texas, and you know, they want to make $7,000 a month, you know, which would be befitting of someone who's had a career at tech companies and and the second option is that same person who decided to move to Lisbon with their family and now they're coming to you and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm willing to start off at like 5,000 or 4750. Who would you rather hire?" The person living in Europe has the opportunity to not hit the ceiling so high. If I'm hiring somebody in San Francisco, they like I know what they're up against. You know what I mean? Like I know what their housing costs are. I know what their sushi budget is. I know if they own a car, how much it's going to cost and all that. And I also kind of know what that costs in Europe too. And I think that there's opportunity in that for the employer and the employee. People get scared about this stuff, you know? So it's like, hey, we're hiring in the Philippines, you know, 10 years ago. And everybody's like, oh, I can't believe it. Like, you're going to take my job and you're going to pay somebody $2,000 in the Philippines. It's like, well, yeah, they're just as good as you. This salary represents a huge opportunity for them. And on the other side, like I know exactly what I'm getting here in America yeah. when I buy this for that price. There's no mystery to me. It's all upside in the Philippines. So again, our point is interesting, which is like pass your savings on to your employer. But maybe this wasn't titled that well. We're really sort of working our way into this idea that your unique lifestyle situation ought to be front and center as an asset to you as an employer. There's another thing worth mentioning is that payroll taxes are, are very high in America. So America is small businesses that are hiring, you know, Americans have to pay an extra tax in order to have you on the team. And so then you have to justify that to the company. This is a problem, obviously, with the American tax system that will probably get figured out sooner than later, I would think, from the government's perspective. But everybody that runs a company now doesn't want to hire American employees that I hang out with, at least. If they have a remote company, everybody's like, no, I'm not hiring anybody in America. Because then I got this W-2 and all this stuff. And like, you don't want to do it. Again, it's the same thing that happened with manufacturing. It's like, well, I'm not going to pay like three times as much to have this developed here when I can just go to China. And I'll say this too, because we see this all the time at Dynamite Jobs, people refusing to put their location on their profile or on their application because they feel like it's a negative. Your location is an upside. So this is like very important. This is something that's changed recently. You know, somebody like applying for a job and like, let's say they're in India or Europe or Philippines, they're like, oh, I don't want to put that on there. 
you know, I'm just as good as everybody else, but I'm like from this other country that I don't think they're going to be attracted to. We are attracted to that country. That's why we're putting this out on a remote job site. Like we want those people to apply because like you're saying, Dan, like that is our upside as well as your upside. It's like a shared upside. The smartest employers are looking to these places to hire because of all the things we just outlined. That leads us to our third point pretty nicely, Ian, which is be a one-person productized service or a very smart freelancer. So what you just demonstrated there is like when you're applying for jobs and indeed trying to maintain them in an old-school, hierarchical, in-person office setting, there's this little bit of this like be everything to everyone kind of vibe, like be a good diplomat, a politician. You know, if someone comes into a meeting and says, you know, let's do this, let's go this way, you're flexible, you're on it, all that kind of stuff. And especially when you're applying, you have the sense that, man, I just want to get that conversation. I can convince them to hire me. I'm willing to do this job. I'm willing to get that money. Because the reality is there's probably like six companies hiring in your geographic area. And if you don't get that job, you might not pay the rent. Well, the whole thing got flipped upside down with remote work. And now you can basically apply to thousands of jobs every year from all around the world. And that same strategy won't work. And so Ian, you just showed there's like, there's a real, real emotional difficulty that candidates have with pigeonholing themselves. And the reason the point is become a one-person productized service or a smart freelancer, which is you have to make that decision for the employer for your application status of like, this is who I am right now in this application. I'm somebody that does this specific thing. This is how I drive value. Yeah. The same way a business would, the same way Dynamite Job is going to say, We'll recruit remote employees for you. As an employee applying to these jobs, you essentially have to do that now as well because it's not just warm body with X degree with X kind of vibe in X city. Now, all of a sudden, it's like I have to figure out like what your genre is by just looking at a, a resume or an application. And I think feeling free to pigeonhole yourself and disqualifying most employers and most jobs is a better strategy when it comes to remote first companies. Yeah, for sure, man. This is a huge issue. We see it on applications that people are applying to our positions and to other positions, which is like, hey, I can do that. And like you said, like that's kind of the office attitude. That's not what these remote first companies need. They need specialization. They need precision. And they need A players. So I think it's fine to disqualify yourself. I, again, I think it's fine to disclose your location. Yep. I think it's fine to disqualify most opportunities as well. The good news about like this remote first kind of smart freelancer productized service person is essentially like if you can do this well in an organization and be an A player, like you'll be able to start your own business one day if that's what you want. If that's not what you want, then that's fine. You will be hunted by companies for your specialized service or skill. So either way, you're going to win. You know, we just launched this services marketplace over at Dynamite Jobs. Talked about it a little bit here on the show, but basically organizations like ours and like other remote first companies are making the decision, do I hire an employee? Do I hire a contractor? Do I hire a freelancer? Or do I hire a service? They will all become the same thing probably at some point. Yeah, you're just buying productivity. 
in the old world, you say, oh, now we're on the four-day work week, you know, and it's like I come to the office and I say, hey, guys, I'm going to sit here for four days a week and do whatever comes up in the company. That's kind of like how you do it in the office. And with remote-first companies, it's more like, well, what actually are you doing for the company? What actually are you in charge of? And then we'll pay you for that. And then we're not really worried about how many days or hours it takes you because you're simply in charge of doing that. For example, if I had to start from scratch with my skill set right now, Ian, and I got kicked off of the Tropical MBA podcast, maybe I could move to Lisbon and I could go out and say, hey, I will do all the podcast editing, production, and marketing for a company that does one show a week for this amount of dollars a month. And that can be my marketing role at a company. I'm going to look for that. I'm going to define it. I'm going to go out and see what kind of companies are seeking that kind of thing. That's a really good approach as well. Monday, Monday, Monday. This Monday morning, ignite your business growth with an absurdly high quality hire from Dynamite Jobs. A hire so explosive to your bottom line, you're bound to be bogged down in cash money. To get started, it's just a zero to 30 minute phone call, rocket fueled by the legendary Ian Close and Showin. Watch him risk his reputation with career killing, high pressure sales tactics. Experience live the let me take that to my finance guy move, the hard sell. And I think I need a chief operating officer. What would change in your business if we could get that done for you today? Classic reversal. Hiring used to be a pain in the ass, but with Dynamite Jobs recruiting, it's scintillating, titillating, profitillating. This Monday, 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 go to dynamitejobs.com and click on the Hire With Us link. All right, so our fourth point, Ian, is read Cal Newport's book, so good, they can't ignore you. A cheeky point. However, I think that Cal really captures, with his whole canon really, what work in the digital age looks like. He has books on digital minimalism. He has books on deep work. And he has this wonderful book on career called So Good, They Can't Ignore You. It's really a guide for success in knowledge work. He really rails against folks who try to run around and look and find their passion in life and really dig into what it takes to be someone who's results oriented, who makes decisions and who, you know, essentially are so good they can't ignore you. Rather than rehash the points of the book, I think you'd point this out that this is essentially a handbook to doing everything that we're talking about on today's episode. Cal was also on episode uh, 381, if you want to give that a listen. For our final point, we're going to discuss some things that worked in the past and don't work so well now, Ian. One of the things that Katie prompted us to do, I thought was really interesting, is dig into you know what's changed, what's going to feel different. I think that she's pointing to something important. This is a real Rubicon to cross. This is really disoriented for a lot of people that are used to working in a geocentric style. In fact, it's such a big Rubicon to cross that we are very hesitant to suggest people without remote work experience to our clients. One of the basic things is really controlling your environment and you know, having a high quality space to work from. That's part of what remote work's about. And if you're the person on the team that's always getting interrupted by the dogs, by the kids, by the uh, poor internet, by the travel schedule, that's going to shine through in the quality of the work you're able to deliver. 
And I think, you know, it's a simple thing. Maybe uh, an A player, it's not a big deal for them. But I think it's worth considering if you do go seriously remote work, you know, what your working environment is going to be and how you're going to be able to sustain the effort required to deliver results. Another thing that I'll mention too about like A players, Dan, I think that they're going to have an easier time transitioning from office work to remote work. That being said, it's like not always clear in an office position or in a larger organization if you actually were an A player. It's like immediately clear once you get to the small organization where you have a lot of visibility, whether or not you're an A player. Like the transition and the things that you're telling yourself, they might not be true. I can think of a couple examples like in my career pre-remote where I maybe thought I was like better than I was because the organization was maybe average or because like the result that I needed to produce like wasn't that hard. You actually might have to step your game up a bit given you're in a new kind of environment and you're also competing with people that maybe have been there for a little bit longer working remote. Like you said, they have their kind of environment locked down or they kind of know the rules of engagement because as much as we're making fun of like this, like khakis and like what kind of car you park in the uh, parking lot and all that stuff, like those were kind of the rules for like the office. Like there were ways to get ahead through politicking. And so it's not to say that like those things don't exist in the remote company too. We're making it seem as if it's like stripped down to like pure productivity and transparency, but there are some of these things that still exist in remote companies. I'll say this, Katie, if you like to have this sort of conversation, listen to this kind of content, definitely should find a founder, owner, manager who likes to do the same because if you're able to do these sorts of inquiries, this is exactly the sort of conversation that leads to a successful employment. So I think that there's a final element here of a, a sort of a social bravery. There's kind of a very top-down approach in a lot of office environments where you please the person ahead of you and you do that by doing the things they say. You can really benefit as a remote worker by having a little bit of bravery to be vulnerable about what you do and don't know, to reach out and build coalitions, to reach out to people, ask them these very sorts of questions like, hey, I want to drive more results for the company. First, can we agree upon what sort of results those might be? Second, do you really think, you know, I can have the ability to drive those results? You know, what's your feedback for me? What can I focus on here? I guess, I don't know if this is like a metaphor or whatever. It's a lot harder to like step on people's toes in a remote organization because the toes aren't, toes might be on a different continent. So you can kind of go direct to the source, carve out a desk for yourself, a desk of work that you can make an impact on and uh, go from there. Big shout out to Katie for her question. We love receiving those and your thoughts and ideas for what can be on this show. As for all the employers out there, it's interesting whether we're still trying to figure out who we are at Dynamite Jobs, but we're basically about promoting your amazing jobs. Mm -hmm. There's something about remote first companies with results oriented cultures where people are treated like adults and in humane ways and not humiliated. There's this whole big thing across the country right now in America specifically where people are so pissed off that their bosses are asking them back to the office to essentially control them. You know, this idea that, Hey, it wasn't good enough for you that we had an all time year last year. And I was at home with the kids and like, I was treated like an adult. I acted like an adult. And now you want me to come back for what? And our people aren't like that. We don't put up jobs like that. Yeah, when you look at the front page of Dynamite Jobs, 
this last week, our buddy uh, Alan of Spy Guy put up an opportunity. And I just see these opportunities because I know these people that are posting these jobs and I know these companies. Yeah, they are. You're just like, man, you definitely want to work with that guy. You definitely want to learn about what that guy is doing. You definitely want to read the books that he's reading. 100%. I think these jobs, and they were for us, Dan, they can be life-changing opportunities. And that's why it's so exciting to be able to, to present them as such. And part of that is that they're remote, for sure. Part of that is that you get to enjoy your life, whatever that is, wherever that is, and then also participate in this organization. Like you said, get treated like an adult. Very cool. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Big shout out as well to our sponsor, smashdigital.com. We appreciate you. We'll be back next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.